Hi everyone, I'm Margot Faraci and this is Heart and Hustle, how to thrive in a crisis. Now there's a lot of bad news out there at the moment and it's valid, things have been difficult. But as a lawyer, as a leader, as a banker, as a parent, as a human, I know that crisis also brings opportunity to grow. So our job in this podcast is to show you people who are doing exactly that and provide some inspiration. Now off we go. Today, I'm talking with Helen McCabe. Helen currently runs Future Women. It's a multimedia platform and it serves professional women, really building a community around professional women. And she's been doing that for a couple of years and she's also had a really illustrious career in the media. She began her career in politics, working in the press gallery, tough stuff. And she went on to spend 15 years at News Corp, including as deputy editor of the Sunday Telegraph before being appointed as editor-in-chief of the Australian Women's Weekly in 2009. Iconic brand, lot of responsibility, we'll go into that. After that, she went on to launch Nine's digital lifestyle platform, Honey, and in 2017, she was appointed as content director of Nine Digital. It's really great to have Helen here today. Helen McCabe, welcome to Heart and Hustle. Hello, and thank you so much for having me. It's fabulous to have you. Now, Helen, uh, you're in the world of online delivery with your fabulous venture, Future Women, a lot of which was about uh, delivering events. Well, we never used to have to say this, but I'm going to say it now: delivering <laughs> events in person. I know the language is so hard. And and you and you only started that in 2018. Of course, 2020 hits. You're a seasoned businesswoman and a seasoned leader. 2020 hits, and you can no longer do what is, you know, part of the core of your business. How's it going? Well, it's a great question because uh, we are now just starting to tackle the problem of scaling up. Uh, I'm hiring people. Uh, I'm in that really delicate phase of not wanting to upset the team because I'm putting a couple of new people into it straight Can't away. Can't dilute the culture. Can't Don't dilute it. the culture. Yeah. So the truth is the challenge now is how to move um, into a bigger team and to be able to uh, scale quite quickly because the demand for the brand is growing um, quite rapidly. And so and, that's happened this year. And that this. has all happened since I closed the door in March, I think it was International Women's Day, was in, uh, March 8. Yeah. I flew to Canberra, did an event in Remember person. Remember that when we used to yes, fly so to flew. do events? Yeah. It was at ASIO actually in Canberra, came back to Sydney and shut the office. Uh, I moved quickly to shut the office, um, told everyone the conference that we were having uh, in, I think in September was off. And closed the door behind me in my apartment and thought, okay, what now? With deep panic? No. Bizarrely, right? no. Okay. I think I just went into survival mode and thought, all right, well, what does the bank account look like? Mm. How far can we stretch this? Uh, let's assume no revenue for uh, six to eight months and just went into survival mode. But that very quickly turned into what do our members want? Mm -hmm. And it was really obvious. Everyone was in the same boat and everyone wanted connections and everyone wanted yeah. the conversation. So we just went where the members went. And actually I returned to my core, which is storytelling and content creation and the old-fashioned word, journalism. Mm -hmm. And so did the team. And we just produced a book. We wrote a book called Untold Resilience, which came out last month. And we just poured our heart and soul into content. And that really resonated with the membership and then the membership grew. And so your members are your clients, right? So for everyone listening, again, my three cousins in Swan Hill who listen, <laughs> the, um, the, the lesson is always listen to your clients, listen to your clients and, and go with that. 
go and, with and that. And that's not hard to do. I think it's the, really not. I think what goes wrong is when you are stubborn and think you know better yeah. than your audience or than your the customer. people who are paying you. Yeah. yeah. And you can see that mistake in some businesses. Uh, but I'm just so young as an entrepreneur, not as a human, but as an <laughs> entrepreneur, that I take on the advice. And I'm really uh, surrounded by an extraordinary team. And I'm going to call out Jamila Rizvi, who many of your listeners will know. I know Jamila. She came to our International Women's Day. I yeah, spoke right. with her. Yeah, right. I so her. exceptional young woman. Yeah. And uh, I really just connected with her on, okay, what next? Yeah. And we went to Penguin and said, we want to do that book now. Yeah. Uh, and then the two of us set about doing it in a world record speed of a couple of months we produced this book. And... And then we just started interviewing. We interviewed everyone from Malcolm Turnbull to Gladys Berejiklian yeah. to um, Karen Phelps regularly on whether to wear a mask or not wear a mask. We got um, Dr. Kerry Chant on. We went with the news story and that meant that there was real momentum around the membership and then that spilled into um, some great stories about a business that had uh, you know, was pro- potentially struggling to scale because I couldn't be and neither could Jam be in every city at every event all the time. Mm. And up until that point, I'd been trying to do that. Yeah. Uh, so now you don't have to. N- now I don't have to. And, you know, now we want to, right? Now yeah, we're like, yeah, that's right. Imagine that first event, you know, it's kind of when we can put everyone in a room again. again. But um, it it was a wild and really exciting ride. And for the team... I remember saying to them, we're doing the work we love and you don't get to do that very often. I agree with you. I think it's fantastic. But you've listened to your clients and you've responded and you've grown and you've actually grown more than you might otherwise have grown because of it. Yes. I mean, literally the problem I'm dealing with today is who to hire and how fast I can get them on board. And and what you're really trying to do here and you're doing it is with your 4,000 members I think you've got now, you're really wanting to create the most diverse, progressive and respectful group of women who are committed to helping each other from the start of their careers through uni and then the start of their careers and onwards. And that's and that's what your members do. They sign up for that. That's right, isn't it? That's right. And we're not about age. So we... we, um, Raised a few eyebrows in the early days when I said I'm not chasing a particular demographic. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to take age out of it. This is really about attitude. If you need help at any point in your professional life, we should be the community that you come to and say, hey, I need to hire a young coordinator or, hey, I don't know how to get my uh, podcast uploaded mm. um, or, hey, I've just lost my job at 50 and I'm thinking about where the opportunities might lie. Mm. And... And for a young, ambitious woman, we're the perfect organisation mm. because you come in and you get embraced by women of all um, fields and experiences and and, and it, certainly every time someone puts their hand up and says, I have a problem. We had an amazing couple of, you know, queries around HR problems and harassment yeah. issues and everyone comes in and supports or legal issues. Everyone says, I'm a lawyer, DM me, I'll back you. Yeah. Um, so yes, you can enter by red, which is just, you know, a basic entry, start to try us out. If, and particularly if you can't afford to, we don't want to be, the last thing you want to be is unaffordable or elite. You, yeah. You want you, to be accessible. Absolutely. That's how the change happens. Absolutely. And, uh, and then we have a professional level, which is $250 a year. And that's really your starting on the ladder of your career. Yeah. And this is, the platinum membership is quite 
uh, quite detailed and extensive. It's mostly purchased by corporates, yeah. but we do do um, occasional one-offs for professional women who are looking for that extra bit of uh, leadership help uh, and those really solid connections. Yeah, fantastic. And I'm wondering if that leadership through this crisis was enabled by the leadership that you've had throughout your career. Like if I think about you being editor-in-chief of Women's Weekly, every month you're starting with nothing, right? You're a day trader. Everything you did yes. last month doesn't matter. And you've got to balance creativity. You've got to get the commercial success. You famously had Oprah on the cover, you know, so you've got to get the big names in and balance a whole lot of different things and produce something every month. So tell us about how that was, because I imagine you had your share of crises during that time. I did. I had many, um, often were semi-deliberate in a sense because <laughs> because what I was trying to do at the time was um, reignite the brand that the country was in love with and had known for 80 years yeah. but had come to expect it to, to be safe and reliable with a, you know, a... Well, there's lots of golden pineapples, you know, golden circle pineapple tins in the recipes. I remember that. Yeah. The old I mean, Olivia like, Newton-John, you know, yeah, that, yeah. That, it was that kind 100%. of magazine. And um, what I wanted to do was to um, really elevate it in the, in the national consciousness and in the conversation. If you've got 2.5 million women a Isn't month right? reading that magazine. You're influential. You are influential. You're so what creating. Are you, gonna, you are creating the view. And what yeah. are you going to do with that? Yeah. So I wanted to do something with it. Yeah. And um, and the responsibility of that, Helen. Yes. And, of course, the readership and the country more broadly, even men think they know what should or shouldn't be on the Women's, in the Women's Weekly. Weekly yeah. you know? So I got plenty of um, unsolicited advice. So lucky. Yes. <laughs> but they would say to me things like, you know, the royals, no one cares. Mm, no, they definitely yeah, care. No, they sell. Yeah. Uh, they still sell. Uh, but, you know, we had the first female prime minister in my time. Yes. Uh, the royals certainly came back into fashion hugely with um, Prince William getting married to Kate and the babies being born and Harry being Harry. Yeah. Um, so What a gift. It was, yeah, and I just didn't need to look twice. I just put them on the covers. (laughs) One of the great myths about my time at the Weekly, and it only raised with me again the other day, was that I put Julia Gillard on the cover with a knitted kangaroo. Yeah. Actually, that particular cover was Prince Harry, which is much more logical. Um, Julia Gillard was a story in the magazine. She wasn't on the cover. But when you talk about crises, that was a crisis because it was at the end of her uh, reign as as a leader of the Labor Party, they were moving against her to reinstall uh, Kevin yeah, Rudd. And yeah. for many in the party, that was uh, a step too far for her to be knitting for a future monarch um, okay. as, a, as a Republican. And as a result, by the end of that day, when that magazine came out, she was no longer a prime minister. So, right. yeah, I mean, I could see that train wreck happening and it was not comfortable for either of us. And I don't think she's ever really going to forgive me possibly for that yeah. but we also did a beautiful cover of her when she first got elevated and I got a lot of criticism you talk about you know controversies for putting a Labor Prime Minister on the cover because that was seen as, as partisan as partisan really so yeah. so the conservative uh, audience was just Horrifying. beside themselves yeah, about yeah. it and then I interviewed Tony Abbott and he talked about his daughter's virginity that was a big story as well uh, so did, I did. Manage did you know to, that was going to happen? No. No. In fact, one of the oh again, one of the stories with that with that is that um, 
he said virginity is a gift um, and he then defended himself saying that by saying, well, I was asked what my opinion was on virginity. And I'm like, no, you weren't. No one <laughs> asked you that. That's just complete bollocks. Why would anyone ask you that question? Certainly not the editor of a women's magazine. But that was his excuse for getting out of it. So he did wall-to-wall interviews kind of verbaling me and my um, style of questioning. But it was really fun days and we did a lot of great stuff and politics is one arm of it. But um, I've often said it probably was nowhere near. It was blown out of all proportion how much po- how much politics we did. We yeah. also did Taria Pitt and yeah. Rosie Batty and Famously. Oprah and yeah. Ellen DeGeneres and Princess Mary um, in the palace in Denmark, which she'd never done before and or since. So, yeah, we did a lot of – and we did Prince Charles. He did his first interview in 20 years or something. Right. So there was a lot of um, variety and it was a wild and heady ride for those six and a half years. You must be a hustler. You must be one of the best hustler, Helen. And in that time, you know, you you had to, the great creativity of it is that you get to think about, well, who's going to really land with the audience? Fantastic. This big responsibility, this beloved brand that you're holding and you've got to deliver the numbers. So did did that weigh on you heavily? Yeah. And and did you have bad times where you weren't delivering the numbers? Uh, Well, you had 12 covers a year, Mm. so um, you only really could get two of them wrong and you had to take risks in order to get really good covers or really good results. So it was a really delicate balance. Look, I... You know, I, I think there's there was plenty written at the time when I left, but overall we we did do pretty good work at the weekly and did get um, great numbers. Not every cover landed. The ones that didn't land were when you try someone really new that mm. no one had really knew. So the audience isn't ready. Yeah, not ready. But if you don't try that, then you're just going to give them Rebecca Gibney every month. Yeah. So um, no disrespect to Rebecca who yeah, yeah. did amazing stuff for us and was one of our most popular covers. But uh, yeah, you, you're always looking for that. One of, actually, one of the reasons for Future Women is that I was frustrated with the lack of women elevated to that point where they were Women's Weekly worthy um, because uh-huh. there's only a handful really. Yeah. And so you you could it's very difficult to choose the next cover uh, in that context. So one of my jobs at FW is to continue to find women and elevate them and give them platforms yeah. and so that they become the sorts of women that fil- will infiltrate mainstream media and become women that other women will eventually go, ah, oh, I saw about her and she's now on the cover of Women's Weekly. That's yeah, the, okay. So you, because we don't, we're not celebrating and talking to enough. No, that's right. We only have yeah. this finite number. Yeah. And, and to be fair to the to the to our great Australian stars, I mean, they manufacture their personalities and their look and their their brand brand yeah. to get to where they want to get to yeah. in their chosen field. Yeah. They're not really trying to manufacture a brand that makes them fascinating yeah. to a magazine story. Yeah. Because that usually means there's a whole bunch of stuff they might not like to talk about. Yeah. And so you get these bland stories, yeah. which is not what that's not what changes the world, right? Not what the consumer wants. No, you know, yeah. we want the surprising and the raw and the unfiltered. Yeah. But there's a real tension between the the female stars of our time that, you know, have a dozen people manufacturing their brand and the desire for, you know, authenticity and realness and um, something we can relate to. And the, if you think about the women that you are really surprised by, they're often... I know you've had Sarah Wilson. Yeah. They're women who are really raw and real. Yeah, yeah, honest, 
It's important. So with all of that then, Helen, what do you think the role of, of men is in terms of, you know, you've got Future Women, which is a women's platform. You're obviously someone who um, is really driven by advocating for the greatness of women. How do you see the role of men in that and, and how do you bring them into that conversation? I think they're incredibly important. And this was a question I was asked a lot when we first um, launched the business, partly because I was backed by nine Mm. uh, into the business and they're a shareholder. Mm. And so I was presenting it to the executive team at nine who were, you know, it wasn't 50-50, but, and there were a number of women in the room, but probably a majority of men. And they would all ask that question. And Look, I have said men can buy memberships and they do buy memberships. They are in the community. They're in the Facebook community. They comment um, because you have to have them in the the chat. We're developing a program, Men Leading Women, at the moment um, because I think there are so many issues around the complexity of the workplace at the moment and as someone very wise said to me, we need imperfect men to be advocates because what's happened uh, and understandably, is that men in their 20s and 30s have gone into a workplace and they might have made ham-fisted overtures mm. to the girl they work with and now they're kind of worried whether they're that... Ashamed about that. Yeah, yeah now yeah. they're worried. Now that's that's in the in the benign kind of yeah. you know, set of circumstances. Yeah. Um, and so they're a bit anxious about how to yeah. go forward. Yeah. And so it's really important um, to engage them and to say it's okay to have... Made some mistakes. Yes, to have made some mistakes and here's what it should look like and how you can help your young um, sons, you know, next-door neighbours, footy stars actually navigate this in a way that is respectful and will enhance their careers rather than potentially derail them. Well, I think that's it's fascinating. It makes me think, you know, for many years I thought what I was doing was for women, you know, particularly when I, I was working in an investment bank and I had my first child and, you know, I had to fight and fight and fight to come back four days a week and no one could understand how that could work and anyway, did it. And I always thought, you know, I just want to make this easier for the women coming after me. Now, if I reflect on my career, actually, when I've walked into a team, inherited a team, it's mostly been men. And I actually think now I was put here to do what I'm doing to actually help men find, reconnect with their hearts because they all have them, you know, but it's hard for them to stay connected to what I would call their feminine energy, you know. So it's actually about all of us coming together just to create a better day at work, really. There's no doubt they're confused. Yeah. Um, a very senior nine executive said to me, I just need you to tell me what I can and can't do. Yeah, yeah. Because they don't want to do the wrong thing. And we right. we initially look at that and just go, are you for real? Like yeah. how, how, but, and and I would say flippantly, well, would you treat your daughter or your, yeah, your, yeah. Or your wife? Yeah. But that's not helpful really. Yeah. It, they really are confused. Yeah. And you you know, I, I thought you and I both know of examples where you've been asked whether you want to be promoted and you kind of go, oh, I don't really know. And by the time you go back to your boss, he's already moved on and said, you told me no yesterday because mm. you, you mm. prevaricated. Mm. I now tell men, if you offer a senior and talented woman a job and she prevaricates, it doesn't mean she doesn't want it. It just mm. means she needs to process it. She probably needs to go home and think about her family. Before she, she process it, yeah. And <laughs> Think about all the And then she goes through imposter syndrome and goes, oh, can I do it yeah. or can't do it? Hey, and guess what? After leading a lot of men, I can tell you they go through it as well. They're just yes. not open about it. <laughs> yes, apparently. I was, yeah. talk- I was talking to um, one of the leading uh, career coaches this week and she said, oh, yeah, and she ma- mo- mainly trains men um, and CEOs yeah. and at board level. And she said, no, no, they definitely have imposter syndrome. They just 
they just are used to hiding it. Well, well, it comes out as alpha male, alpha oh. male behaviour. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's what I've seen a lot. That's of. the giveaway. That's the giveaway. But I th- it's fantastic that you've got that that view where you you're bringing everyone in actually to create change because that's the way it does happen. Yeah, or where you know there's going to be there's going to be that that group, whether male or female, that don't really relate to what I'm doing and don't really sure. think it's necessary. Sure great that's that's completely understandable um because we don't all think the same and we're not all the same but no I I do feel strongly that we need to be a broad a broad church uh and we have to be able to have conversations with men very important I come from a long line of men actually my whole I got three farming brothers brothers and footballing brothers and stuff so yeah. yeah it has to be holistic yeah so three younger brothers I believe Helen which means, I guess, that uh, you would have grown up helping care for them. Is that right? Well, yes. I had to. So I had one, my little brother's eight years younger than me, so and we were oh, on a right. farm. So I did spend yeah. a lot of time looking after him, particularly. All right, and now you've got all of these um, responsibilities on you, and have had throughout your career. So how do you care for yourself? Look, I think I've been really rubbish at it um, <laughs> for a long time, and I've always given speeches that I don't do work-life balance. I just do work. Uh, and that I'm okay with that. But that's shifted really dramatically in recent times. I went through a period of time, I guess, 18 months ago, probably around the start of the business when things were tough, going what and why and how do I get through this? And without giving you all of the sleepless night detail, uh, I did just make some really big decisions that I wasn't going to be that person who was always busy. Um, I wasn't going to be that person that said, I can't see you. I don't have time. Uh, I just cleared my weekend diaries and I still do it where I don't actually deal with much at all. Um, and I, I sleep properly. I took up yoga. I know that sounds like the biggest cliche. Um, under You're the, talking to someone who meditates twice a day and does yoga four times a week, so you can go with the cliche, whatever you like. Well, it's, I'm, okay. it's a cliche because it works. Yeah, it works. That's you right. Know? And I've I've shifted out of yoga and into Pilates, but that's because I've got the other bit under control. Yeah, I've got yeah. that that brain has slowed down. I'm very happy go and lie on the lounge and look at the leaves. Yeah. In, and I will very happily go to bed super early. I, I've just completely shifted, and yeah. I my public um profile for one of a better way of describing it right now I just don't do anything I don't want to do I, yeah. I've never really been an extrovert I've been an introvert and I was pushing myself into being an extrovert and not terribly comfortable or very true to who I am yeah. so yeah I I am now um, I'm very easy to find in one ways but in other ways I'm not chasing you um I am the most chilled person I've ever been. So <laughs> I'm a huge, huge believer in uh, slowing down. And COVID, I was doing it before COVID. So I watched COVID come and went, thank you. It gives yeah, everyone a time to gift. breathe. Yeah, total gift. And I think there's, you know, it's really important though. So many of us early on in our careers do go really hard and try harder and be more determined because that's what gets you to where you want to go. But it's unsustainable and something has to change. And sometimes you just have to be miserable enough to go and find what that change needs to be. Absolutely. So thanks for sharing. But I would also say I don't think going harder and faster made me more successful. Right. I think if I'd gone slower, um, I wouldn't have made quite as many mistakes. Great tip for anyone out there who's thinking it's all about harder and faster. 
I, I hope my teams that listen to this because I think they think I go pretty hard and fast. There's only the only people listening are my three cousins in Swan Hill, so don't worry. It's okay. <laughs> but but, but um, if they think I'm tough now, if I go if I work too much now, they should have seen me, you know, in my twenties working in Canberra. Yeah, totally. but nothing to prove. It's all good. Yeah. it's all good. Yeah. Helen McCabe, thank you so much for joining us. I'm so glad that Future Women is thriving in this crisis. It's so great to talk to you, and thank you for having me. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. I hope from this you've got some ideas and some themes about how to thrive in a crisis. Now, you can definitely hit the subscribe button if you want to hear more of the show and give us a rating as well. Thanks again for listening. See you soon.